0: Greetings and welcome to the RPG Review Board podcast. You're listening to episode 20. In this episode, the board administers their righteous judgment upon Castles and Crusades, designed by several prestigious RPG names and published originally in 2004 by Troll Lord Games. The name is an homage to the gaming society founded by Dungeons and Dragons creator Gary Gygax. This modern adaptation of an old-school fantasy game is currently in its eighth printing of a solid and consistent rule set with ongoing support and supplemental material. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the Honorable Representatives of the RPG Review Board.
1: Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. All rise. The RPG Review Board is now in session. My name is John Case Tompkins. I'm joined by Heidi Faith, Trey Gordon, Adam Lawson, and Nathan Stanley. If the judgment of this court helps you find a new game, help us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we are recording yet another review of a game we've been playing recently. But first, let's talk about how we've been. I will go first and I will tell you about my attempt this morning to avoid something that I failed at miserably. The rest of the family, uh, my fiancé and, and all her kids and, and, and myself, we all have tickets to go to Monster Jam, which is in April. Oh Yes. Now Monster Jam involves large trucks doing kind of crazy stunts in an arena. And I would not say Hmm Some of the family might listen to this. <laughs> I would not I would not say that it's my You be careful Woo. that it's in my top five things of list things I like to do. But it is something that I like to do with family, uh, because I like to spend time with my family. So anyway, I wasn't, but I'm not super
2: keen on going. Are you saying you wouldn't go to Monster Jam with me, Case? I would not even consider it. Oh, Oh, God. God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Not
1: with with any of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I'd be like, I have a, a dentist appointment that day.
3: <laughs> like, case, hey, it's, it's 9, eight, nine It's on, 18, a Saturday. on a Saturday.
1: What are you talking uh, about? And also, I haven't
4: told you what day it is.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. I'm confident <laughs> that
4: I
0: have a dentist appointment anyway. Don't ask too many questions. Yeah, my exactly.
4: teeth are horrible. I have <laughs> dentist appointments every day in the foreseeable future. So,
1: well, this morning, we were going over the ticket issue, and there was... There was this issue about we needed to add one more ticket and there was no way to do it that we could find out to put somebody else in the group of all of us so we could all sit together. And there was a bunch of like, would you let me tell my story and stop (laughs) whining about not going to Monster Jam? There's still tickets available. Anyway, so I was like, now see, here's how you get out of stuff. You volunteer to do other stuff you'd rather do, right? So I was like, well, listen. I can act as chauffeur. It's much easier for me to drop you guys off and then pick you up rather than have to find some place to park. And, you know, then I can easily take us out to dinner afterwards and we won't have to worry about the parking traffic. And I made a pretty good play, I think. But my fiance, whom I love very much. Hello, Kim. I love you. Was like, boop, boop, boop on her phone and was like, oh, no, no, no. We can put this seat just across the aisle. In the next section. There is no question about
2: this. (laughs) So
1: anyway, she goes boop, 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 fixes it, and then looks up she looks up at me and she gives me this like and this is before her day starts, right? So she's already like she's at she's ready to go. She's gotta deal with people in her office all day long, but she's already mentally geared up and she's just like Pete Kim. Yeah, yeah. She's like, Nice try, buddy. And I was like, (laughs) But like, what can you do? It's, it's like when you get stuck with, you know, when you, they open the, you know, she opens the door and I'm in, I'm in the kitchen and it's midnight and I've got my hand in the cookie jar. It's like, what were you doing?
0: Ah! She knows.
1: So I will be attending Monster Jam and I will be having a great time yeah, with will. my family that I love very much. So there you go. That's my most recent failure. Heidi, failures, successes, anything else you wanna say?
3: I mean, I don't know so much about uh, failures today. I'll tell you this, uh, this may not matter to anybody else but me, but about an hour ago, uh, okay, let me backtrack. There's a cat and this builds, this is almost a long train's theme. <laughs> There's
1: a cat. I honestly, for a minute there, I thought you were going to start bringing up like geopolitics or something. I'm like, you're not going to
3: bring <laughs> so oh, no, no, this. Oh, no, okay, no, no, Okay, good. <laughs> the, these are the exciting things in my life. I'll okay. tell you that much. Good, good, good. So there's a cat. We, for, we've lived in the, the house where we currently live about five years. There's a cat that's just always been around. We were like, oh, it's a stray. And he started kind of, you know, hanging around our house. And then one day during pandemic uh, times, while I was working remotely, I had we were painting the front door, and I had to leave it propped open while I took a meeting, a Zoom meeting. So I took the meeting, sat there, whatever, great, great. Stood up, closed my computer, stand up from my kitchen table, look out to my living room, and this cat is just curled up, asleep on my couch, like he has always lived in my house. That's it. <laughs> Wait. Ever since.
1: So a cat just appeared.
3: Yeah. He walked in I the mean, open we, front door. We had seen him around often. Like all the time he was very sweet but he was always outside. We thought he was a stray. We, we gave him treats. We would see him. We wouldn't see him for a few weeks. We'd see him for a day or two just kind of around and that was that. And, and now he's
1: squatting in your house.
3: Well <laughs> it turns out that he does technically belong to some people down the street <laughs> and mm-hmm. I suspect that this little guy is smart enough that he has about four or five families, is, is my oh, yeah. guess. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we won't see him. So we, we're we all on a nice text chain now that we keep tabs on him. Uh-huh. Like, oh, have you seen him? I haven't seen him. Oh, oh, he's at my house. Hey. So he's this sweet little cat that we just, so we say we have three and a half cats, right?
1: So, so your, your household know. is. We
3: have three of our own.
1: The cat equivalent right. So it's he this is a cat equivalent of a side hustle or a side piece, like
3: you know <laughs> oh, You no, know, boy. he's not
1: getting enough love at home and he just you <laughs> know goes down the street. Needs <laughs> a little help. A
3: little help. <laughs> well, bottom line is I got a text today from our neighbors down the street that said, Hey, he was inside, he snuck out because it's been cold here. He snuck out, and I was like, Okay, all right, I'll keep an eye out for him. Sure enough, at the door, came in like he hadn't eaten in six months. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was they like, don't feed oh. me down there, it's horrible. Yeah. He was like, Oh, I'm dying. I was like, You little snot, I'm on to you, but I still need yeah. treats. So, yeah, yeah. it <laughs> worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, okay. you're on to him. You're on to him, Heidi. Uh, sure. I'm
0: on to
3: him.
1: You hold on. Yeah, yeah. You're about to <laughs> drop the hammer. <laughs>
3: yeah. And then he just curls up. He's got the cutest little snoot, and he just like purrs. It's so cute.
2: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. You, you uh, saw you come. Like coming.
3: all other things happening in the last few weeks aside, that was the cutest thing, and it happened about an hour ago. So I'm, um, I'm happy right now. Got okay. Got my, my little boy back.
1: <laughs> well, that's nice. Nathan, any uh, hustles going on for you, side or otherwise? <laughs>
4: Yeah, a whole lot of things. But, yeah, I think uh, one of the more interesting things as far as tabletop role-playing goes is I got a Kickstarter that I backed a while ago called ooh, the Tome ooh, ooh. of Summoning. Ooh. And I am super excited about it. The uh, It's basically a big binder, and it just has just 5th edition monsters in it, but all of their stat blocks. And when you pull one of these cards what? out... It's actually a little tent with the stats on one side and a picture of the baddie on the Uh, other side. uh. And it's tented so that you can hang it on your DM screen as part of your, like, initiative order. So the players see a picture of the monster, and you have all the relevant statistics on the back. And it's just, I mean, I have something like a hundred and some odd monsters in here now that I can just kind of, like, I need a monster, flip through the pages, find something, pluck it out, and I've got a monster.
1: Okay, so this this sounds really great because like at fifty, almost fifty years into the uh, since the invention of the hobby, baseball cards are now a part of D and D. It sounds like you got a picture on <laughs> the front, you got stats on the back. Now, my question right. is: Did you have to open these in like six card packs, and was gum involved? <laughs>
4: pay attention to the summoning that'd be a good way to monetize this uh but uh no they came in these boxes about the size of what would you call this like a cigar box kind of size maybe um this this one i'm holding is core pack two i have core packs uh one two and three so it's basically everything from the monster manual and such okay
1: what i want is the i want the mind flayer rookie card that's what i want
4: that's right yeah (laughs) yep and they have uh, they have another pack out for like common like NPCs and things like that. So oh, I need a I need a villager that is somehow stuck in this combat in some way. You can drop a villager in there or whatever.
1: Whatever you need stats for a villager, it's bad news. Oh yeah, it's typically,
4: <laughs> well, typically bad news. Well, I mean that's uh, that's how I put pressure on my pressure on my guys sometimes is uh your heroes you don't want these innocents to die so i drop them into combat and threaten them
3: so yeah. these are just very generic these these are just generic are they yeah, they're a they're basically directly
4: any- from the F- dungeons and dragons fifth edition okay rule set Monster Man so, stuff? yeah yeah they're basically from that um not only do you have the uh image of the The monster and the stat block that you have on that kind of little tent to hang on your on your DM screen. There's also a whole bunch of little cardboard essentially minis. They just tent up and they're the size to go onto the table. Uses the same artwork so I haven't sorted through these yet but basically, oh I need a you know, I need a green, a young green dragon. You can pull the young green dragon stat block, hang it on your, hang it on your DM screen, find the little quote unquote figure and put it on the board
1: not bad transition over to adam adam what have you been conjuring from the ether slash doing in 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 your events
0: i as you know i'm big into uh miniatures and that kind of thing so i've been printing a lot of them as i've been mentioning in previous episodes painting them um as well and so my my new adventure is that i finally got myself an airbrush so I'm Ooh. learning how to use an airbrush for painting my miniatures and my terrain so i'm not good at it yet but uh, boy, can I sling that paint against the <laughs> but yeah. most of it gets on the mini and everything so <laughs>
1: <laughs> if if I'm correct, the nice thing about the airbrush is that you're able to do both very fine detail and also like texturing is that true once you get used to it
0: yeah and a lot a lot of the big help for me is that I can prime my miniatures in the same area that I paint them in which is not a particularly large space where I work is also where I hobby and so the painting happens at this tiny desk heretofore I have been taking them out to the garage and like rattle can priming them and now I can do it in one miniature right here at my desk without having to go go down back a car out you know if it's too cold then it sticks weird and so I can do it all in the same temperature anyway I'm pretty excited about it this one is the type that doesn't require a air pump it has its it has like a battery a charged battery so you don't have a compressor tank. Oh. Yeah. So for the amount that I use it and for the space that I have, it was really kind of nice to not have to have a, a tank. I've only Ooh. ever yeah. seen
3: stuff like that when it comes to like um like those cake decorating shows. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, you yeah. See them, like paint those and I'm always I can't paint for crap, right? Like I I can't Paint, draw a straight line, let alone could I paint a miniature in detail? Actually,
1: drawing a straight line is very difficult. (laughs) Yeah,
3: well, I can't do it to save my life, so I admire anybody who busts out an airbrush and is able to do that kind of stuff with skill, so kudos to you.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's an aspect of the hobby that I can do sort of by myself and still sort of engage with, uh, you know, other aspects of the hobby. So I'm actually on my third figure for this fifth edition game that Nathan's uh, running. So I finally I whipped up a third one that I I thought was more in alignment for how I envisioned my character looking. And this is the one that I use the airbrush on.
1: Trey, how are you doing?
2: A much better, thank you. I, I, I haven't been that awesome lately. Um, just health-wise, uh, yeah, I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. I've got this sort of, this, this kind of baso, um, quality of my voice that isn't normal. That's because we have recently been a COVID household. I, I was engaging in my favorite high-risk activity, which is acting. <laughs> so, and if there's any doubt that masks work... Let me tell you this, we did this entire rehearsal process completely masked and everyone stayed healthy. And when we went into tech rehearsals, it's time to take the masks off. We take off the masks. Four days later, whole, whole, whole play is shut down because like six wow. of us got COVID. Oh,
3: no. <laughs> oh,
2: wow. Yeah. It was I waiting know.
1: for you. It was, it, was, it was hanging up in the lights just waiting for you. It's waiting for the
2: masks <laughs> to come off. Yeah, That's right. That's right. That's how it works. Um,
1: like yeah. an
3: NPC in the background just waiting to get you.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of masks in this play, this is sort of a side tangent to my ultimate point, but in this play, the character that I play is particularly scungy. <laughs> and so. I'm not even sure what uh, the is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a nice guy. And so. Normally, I have you know, a beard with a mustache, and so I shaved the beard part off and just left the mustache for this play, which makes me look very bottom-dwelling. And the great thing about it is, because of this whole mask thing and COVID, no one that I see day-to-day at work has any idea that I've shaved my beard off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I look the worst I've ever looked in my life, I hope, and nobody knows it because they can't see me.
1: Yeah, you. But you're famous because basically your look is second guy with a gun in every seventies action movie. <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly
2: right. Yeah, nice. yeah. He's like, yeah. I,
1: I think I've seen that guy in a movie. You have yeah. Thug yeah, Number you, Two.
4: If you yeah.
2: imagine me in a double knit leisure suit, when with I my think hand. Trey
4: Gordon, I think Thug Number Two. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> Imagine me in a double-knit leisure suit with my hand tucked into the jacket. and Right. Yeah, that's exactly. But so I had this awful disease, and so I spent a few days at home. Because we're vaccinated, we weren't that sick, and we weren't sick for that long. But I was laid up in bed, and between bouts of fitful sleeping, I made a scale model of Bomeris Castle in Minecraft none of those words mean anything to me
3: <laughs> i don't know the castle reference but i live in a household with the uh, other party here uh it has been a minecrafter in the past so i'm, I'm very familiar with that
2: Maris is this really cool castle and i'm not sure i'm saying it right because i've only ever seen it written i've never heard anyone say it out loud so, and it's it's in wales it's in great britain so their their relationship with the french language is troubled so It's B-E-A-U-M-A-R-I-S. I'm saying Bomaris because I'm guessing that's the way they would say it. I don't know if that's right or not. But it's this 13th century castle that was never finished. But it's really cool. And yeah, I, I, I became very interested in it and spent a lot of time Making it in bed. Listen,
1: man, I'm very happy that you got some time to do Minecraft. I, I I think it looks to me like work, but it obviously relaxes you. Yeah, it's good for me. Yeah. We need to actually get to the thing we've been reviewing. We are talking this evening about Castles and Crusades, which is an RPG put out by Troll Lord Games. It is in its eighth printing, and you can pick up the player's handbook for Uh, about 40 bucks and uh, you can also get the uh, monster manual and then the third book the castle keepers guide for approximately the same price i think castle keepers guide is 50 maybe the monster manual is as well but if that sounds to you suspiciously like a certain other game that has uh initials with an ampersand in the middle then you would not be wrong. This is perhaps... I think this is our first retro clone or d clone. Like we've played other... a couple of their fantasy games, but this one is very obviously both in its name and in its... so the way it presents itself. So Castles and Crusades was act- is actually a reference to an early uh, wargaming society that Gary Gygax was a part of um, in the late 60s early 70s the books themselves uh have art pieces that are deliberate throwbacks to the first edition a d d manuals this thing is a retro clone and it is appealing to that nostalgia in a big way so i guess my first question is before we move into the mechanics and anything what does that do for you is there anything about that just the way that it looks or the way that it presents itself does that does that work at all for you
2: Trey Yeah um as you know you know I I, I was the one who picked this game because I got excited about that I I started playing in AD&D back in what 1980 81 something like that so I was like oh this is going to be really cool you know and yeah It's cute the way that they've really gone all in with the artwork and the production to really cast back. Their character sheets are even those mustard color character sheets like you got when when, when you bought the little binder full of character sheets for AD&D back in the day. Goldenrod golden goldenrod thank you yeah it is golden yeah. goldenrod is better yeah it was that yeah. was the time of of avocado and goldenrod everything wasn't it the yes the part where
3: Nathan um, paints to push up his glasses and go <laughs> <laughs> that's my boy <laughs>
1: yep okay well but but so here's the interesting thing so for people like me who are really into the history and and for trey who, like, I've never played... Who is then, the history. You are the history, right. <laughs> like, there, there is something, like, when you do this to me, when you show something like this to us, we're like, ha, cool. Like, that's already yeah. something yeah. interesting. But I'm wondering, we, for the rest of you, is there any appeal there? Or is it just sort of like, you know, does it, does it say anything? Adam?
0: Yeah, so I have some complex emotions about this one because Ah! we live in a time where the game that I played when I started cutting my teeth on role-playing games, you had to go and buy the book and bring the book home and read it. That book, that same book, is now available for digital download by the you know, the actual distributor without even having to, to get on the black market to acquire it or anything like that. So my biggest concern with a retro clone was what is it going to do that's different and compelling enough from something that I already have access to. If it's second edition or first edition, these things are available to me already. Uh, through the publisher. So I wanted to do something um, with that OGL that is more than just file off the D&D serial numbers and do something interesting or compelling. So those are the things I immediately started looking for. And perhaps that's a disadvantage for Castles and Crusades because I was already very familiar with the material that it was based upon. And so perhaps I was looking at it with a more critical eye. But that's sort of how I how I started.
4: Nathan, Heidi,
1: any, any feelings about any of this?
4: I originally came to tabletop role-playing games when I was in high school. And at the, at the time, third edition was out, but my buddies had the second edition rulebook. So we started playing on second edition and then kind of graduated to third edition when we could convince our moms and dads to, to buy us third edition books. And this game felt very nostalgic. I would kind of echo a little bit of what Adam said, which is it gives me feelings, which are like, I kind of felt like I was remembering, you know, going over to my friend's house and playing for a few hours Friday night after school, because what else would a nerd do on Friday night than sit in someone's <laughs> room and play role-playing games? But uh, but yeah, you know, it it kind of evokes all of those same old feelings, and the artwork and the way it's written and everything all kind of leads into that feeling. So yeah, it's it just feels a bit like a nostalgic group hug. This game does.
3: I would, so I would say, like, especially if we've, we've talked about this on our own already, and there's been a lot of, we've talked about the nostalgia of it, and like, okay, what, what is this? Is it just kind of a, a generic version of D&D, that kind of thing? I really tried to think of it from the perspective of when it came out, so I, and I think that's just kind of it. Like, it came out at a time where I think D&D was getting maybe a little, um, little heavy, maybe, mm. you know, so it's like, I, I think, I think it was probably at the time it came out incredibly refreshing as like a throwback to like, I think when it came out, we were in fourth edition, I believe, mm-hmm. of D&D. And so I I can imagine this was probably just like a beautiful, like, yeah. sigh of relief for anybody who was like, man, this is getting a little like heavy. I'd love to have something that just kind of made me feel like the original D&D right. stuff or AD&D. So for me, like, I I get it. I get it. Because I actually, like, I agree with Adam. I, I kind of had some complex feelings about this at first. I enjoyed it, but I was not quite sure why for me. And, and I think that it's like, you know, there's nothing about it that I was, like, blown away by. But I was like, sure. you know what? This is fun. It's fun. I get it. It's very, right. it does. It, it hits that nostalgia like vein. And it felt very much like, yeah, you're a kid playing in a bedroom somewhere.
1: Right? Sure. Right. It does do that. And I, I want to get back. So that ties into something that Adam said earlier about this idea of, uh, why would I buy this when I could just go and buy now just these old games? Right. It's like, cause you can go online and be like, Hey, you want to play AD and D you can buy it from an online retailer, PDF, or you could pay, like thirty bucks to have them print on demand it and send it to you. You don't need this, right? If that's what you're if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for that experience, there are options now. And so that brings me to a a question that I think is central to any discussion of this idea of the retro clone, which is why bother? And and I can I can think of some good reasons to like this game. And I want to talk about the about the mechanics in a little bit, especially since Nathan's got some math for us. Because I wanted to ask him about that. But first and foremost, mention a friend that we're we're all familiar with, who's uh, kind of a cynic and a curmudgeon, and his view on you guys know who I'm talking about. And Case his view. <laughs> it's
2: it's Case, right?
1: <laughs> I.
2: I wish, ladies and gentlemen sitting at home I wish you could see Case Tompkins face right now give me the strength to destroy this man silence you
0: no yes be quiet so the pot can call the kettle black that's right exactly sorry you were talking about a curmudgeon go ahead Mr. Tompkins
1: are we done? okay what I was saying is that a friend of mine will often ask why bother playing anything to D&D like why bother switching to this? Everyone's playing D&D. Why don't you just go play D&D? And for, now, for the most part, I don't agree with him. Because just like, well, what if I wanted to play a mystery game? D&D sucks at mysteries. Actually, D&D is really good at dungeons and dragons. <laughs> and after that, it kind of falls apart. Yeah. So why? So I disagree with him there. But for something like this, it's like, why play this as opposed to D&D? Why go with this one? Any, anybody have, a, like, a strong defense of, like, why this is, why this would be, you would choose this?
2: I very much wish I
1: did.
3: <laughs> yeah, I do, too. I do, too, as far as today. I, like I said, as far as 2004, I do think that there's a good defense. I think you, because 2004, D&D was getting very bloated um if you will and i can see totally why this would have been a sigh of relief for some people who wanted a more like simple like callback to what dnd had been before in the earlier editions again it makes perfect sense for 2004 now i don't know why it does make a ton of sense other than wanting to maybe just try it and check it out Beyond that, I don't necessarily know why to stick with it, unless you and your personal like party get a really great game going. I I don't know.
2: Okay, here's something: they they have this ethic. The folks who published this game, help me, case, who is it again? Troll Lord. Troll Lord, thank you. Troll Lord has this has this ethic that they are not going to change the rules. They're not going to publish new editions. There's not going to be a Castles and Crusades 2 or 4 or 5th edition. Nothing like that. If They're they're not going to do that. So if you started playing Castles and Crusades in 2004 or 2008... It was 2008, I think. Was it 2008? I think that was when the first oh, edition came. Yes, yeah. I knew it was I the early 2000s. I keep saying 4, but well,
3: maybe it is 8. Sorry.
2: I knew it was the early 2000s sometimes. But uh, in 2008, 2010... It's the same game, you know, you don't have to, you know, they, they publish supplements, they even publish new sets of rules, but they don't change anything. You know, they correct errors and things like that, but they've, they've made this promise to their players that they're not, going to, they're not going to make you buy another edition of this game. So that's a good reason to play it. I was really drawn to the whole nostalgia of this thing in a big way. And when we started playing it, it just felt really generic to me. Hmm, that's interesting. And I wonder, A, does anyone agree with me? And B, if so, why would it feel that way? Well, I think
1: a good deal of that genericness comes from the system itself, which is an interesting combination of old and new things. So while if you look at the game, you're going to see your basic fantasy sort of a system. You've got braces, And classes, you put those together with some ability scores, there's your character, you know, you're going to have casters that go up in levels and get more magic, you're going to get more like fighter types or, or, you know, people with various skills, they go up in level, they gain different powers, all of that stuff is going to be very, very similar, but they're unlike, say, 3rd edition, that had this unifying mechanic. They also have a unifying mechanic they call the Siege Engine, but it's more about static numbers. Um, Nathan, can you say a little bit about about that system, from percentage-wise?
4: So, uh, the math I was doing on this particular game, I guess the first thing we should talk about is... Um, one of the things that this game revamps from maybe the earlier versions of Dungeons & Dragons that it's kind of emulating is... Uh, I mentioned I, I played 2nd Edition earlier, and 2nd Edition had dreaded Thacko. It had yeah. um, oh. smaller smaller armor class was better, negative armor class was awesome, and a lot of that was counterintuitive, so this game embraces the more modern version of positive attack bonuses, positive armor classes. Basically, bigger numbers are always better for whoever has the bigger number. So bigger armor class is better, bigger, uh, bigger attack bonus is better, et cetera. To that effect, it also uses the, uh, your various ability scores as part of your attacks and your saves, etc. And one of the things that I found really interesting was its, uh, ability modifier breakdown where... Fifth edition D and D I'm I'm very familiar with. Basically every even number you go up an ability modifier, right? So ten and eleven is plus zero, but you hit twelve, you're at plus one. You hit plus fourteen, you're now at plus two. You hit plus six you hit sixteen, you're at plus three, right? This game has a bit steeper of a curve. In fact, I would label it as a much steeper curve. 9 through 12 is a is a zero ability modifier. 13 through 15 gives you plus 1. So you don't hit plus 2 until getting a 16 in, in an ability, right? So that's a much steeper curve for those ability modifiers. And so the math I was working out was, exactly what are your chances of getting some actual like seriously positive ability scores when you're rolling your stats we chose the roll 3d6 and use those abilities the probability of getting a plus two ability modifier which is a 16 or above is 4.62 percent on a roll of 3d6 so you're likely going to end up with a lot of zeros and maybe some plus ones you know, right? Um, you're at about twenty five percent to get a to get a plus one, twenty five percent to get a thirteen or better,
1: right? And then the the way that the the sort of unifying system for this game, which they call the Siege Engine, the way that it works is that you've got primary stats and secondary stats, which are most of your rolls. Your primary stats when you go to roll it. So if you're a maybe a thief and your primary stat is Dex, when you go to make a check to see if you hear something or you pick a lock or whatever you might be rolling against your primary stat which in that case the challenge rating the DC starts at 12 on a 20-sided die. I I should note starts at 12. It can get higher as you add modifiers. If it's a non-primary stat it starts at 18. Now I would say that if we're talking about zero modifiers, what does that get us, Nathan? That's like a was like a forty percent chance to succeed on a thing you're good at?
4: So it's a it's a it's a D twenty based game, so you can think of every single number as five percent. So right. the swing from uh from an eighteen down to what was the, the, the twelve. 12, you know, that's a six point swing, right? So that's a a swing of 30 percentage points in chance in probability of success. So I think what that, what that kind of, it kind of does a couple different things here. One is that it rewards you for leaning into your class's abilities, right? If you're the rogue, you want to be doing as many dexterity based things as possible because you're getting a free 30% chance of success out of just leaning into dexterity based skills and and attacks and the likes right whereas if you try something you know constitution related i think constitution's outside of their uh,
1: unless they chose it because you can choose you get to choose one so that's fair
4: yeah so but if you if you try something that you're not specced out in um you're just kind of giving that 30 percent up for free on the table so it it kind of encourages you to lean into the things that you're really good at. I think the flip side and maybe the shady underbelly of that system is that it incredibly disincentivizes you from doing things you're not good at, right? To get an 18 with with no modifiers, you're talking about, you have uh, an 85% chance of failure. Yeah, you have like a 15% chance of success, right? So, you know, you're if you don't have the ability modifiers and Likely, because you haven't cho if you haven't chosen, let's say, Constitution as one of your primary stats, you probably also didn't drop your high die roll into that ability score. So you probably have a zero or who knows, maybe even a minus one. I mean, you could be looking at a really steep chance of of failure of of a particular role.
1: It's interesting just thinking about systems, right? You know, we uh, a couple months back we played Savage Worlds, right? And so Savage Worlds, you might have a crap ability in something, right? It's a D4, even a D4 minus two. I think your run ability for that character, Nathan, was like a D4 minus two. Yeah. But you're a freaking hero, so you uh-huh. always get the D6 wild die. And so what that means is if you look at something and you're like, there's, uh, I'm not really going to be able to do this, but, you, but you've got that wild die, so it's like... Eh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah,
4: yeah, and in that right. particular system, typically a four or better is at success, which on a d six is 50 percent. So like 50%. your absolute absolute worst ability roll in that game is better than fifty percent because you're getting fifty percent for free from the wild die, and then right. you add whatever additional percentage you get from your your regular die for right.
1: ability. Right, right. But this this thing is sort of like you look at it, you're like eighteen or above. God, should I even try? Like, and, and I think, Adam, you also sort of were complaining about this because there were some things about just the way that this game approaches things that sort of, it's like, it's a lot of, no, you can't do that.
0: Yeah, I will get to that in just a moment. I have a log jam of ideas and I didn't want to interrupt. So I want to clear the log jam (laughs) first. One of the questions you asked earlier was why play this? And there has been sort of a through line in previous episodes where I emphasize the importance of the ease for the GM and this engine, while it is interesting and modern and it has, you know, really benefited from years of, of RPG development since first edition and second, Edition D&D, really the engine boils down to advice on how to set difficulty classes. And that is the primary duty of the GM, and it really is helpful for helping a GM run at the table. And so really, you're not concerned about, gosh, from zero to 99 million, where do I set this DC? Start with 12 if it's a primary score, start with 18 if it's a secondary score, and add one, two, three, or four, whatever you feel like is necessary, and your scope of complexity is is diminished. I have my own concerns about it, and now I'm cleared my logjam, so to answer your actual question, was that uh, I, th- I feel like it introduces Uh, a lot more back and forth than, you know, in actual gameplay, it introduces a little more back and forth than is probably desirable because the GM has to have a piece of information that is only known to the player. And before he or she can start establishing that difficulty class, he needs to know, do I start at 12 or do I start at 18? And what do I add to it from there? But yeah, there are some things that sort of, and perhaps this is just uh, to ensure that it, uh, that uh, classes get their chance to shine and perhaps also calling back, to previous editions. But there's sort of this, this idea that permeates the text. I'm going to read a line here that is a good example. For example, uh, a fighter may wish to open a lock or a wizard may attempt to track. It's up to the castle keeper to decide if the action is even possible. In general, it's recommended that the castle keeper should disallow a character a chance of success in attempting a non-class ability. And that uh, doesn't feel very modern. (laughs) Um, Just the, the, the idea that the GM says no, when we have been told for decades that yes. And is what is where fun comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, There's already a dial for this. And what we haven't touched on yet in the mechanics is the idea that you're adding your bonuses uh, based on the numeric value in the range, but also your level if, if it's appropriate to do so. So those 18s don't get quite as outlandish or challenging to reach. Once you've got a couple of levels under your belt, because you're already, Adding two, three, four uh, by default anyway, and so you could maybe instead of just absolutely disallowing a character from taking an action, just say oh, you can't add your level to it because you know wizards don't track or fighters don't pick locks. But let them chuck the die. That part just gr- grates on me a little bit, which I think that's kind of why you called on me.
1: Well, yeah, I, I but I think it's interesting, Adam, because. That The fact that it grates on you, like, I mean, that that sort of says something about design philosophy, but also player philosophy and just player comfort. And so if you're going to start this game, and I, as as a devotee of the OSR, like, I have no problem putting a lot of rules around. It's like, no, you can't do that. But I'm also a mean person. So that, you know, (laughs) that's something to do with it.
0: (laughs) It's important to stress that I that I agree with the I think the underpinning is you want characters who are good at that to have their chance to shine and maybe it's just making sure that they understand sort of that uh, you know the the contract at the table is that the rogue should pick the lock and so let them do that thing.
1: I man, I don't know i I, I see that point of view i I more think of it as like one of the challenge the, the fun things about. Role-playing, for me, is making the best of a limited amount of options. And that is, you know, it's like, well, who do we have who can do X? Okay, well, you can do that. But we can't put you in harm's way, so we want to do this. Or it, it, it creates creative, interesting, interesting gameplay. But this, I don't know, Trey, you you said this felt a lot like second, right, to you?
2: No, um, j- just that it felt generic. It, was, it, it didn't feel... I got real excited when I saw the books, you know, um, mm. just because I was like, "Oh, cool! You know, we can do something, you know, a, sort of a trip back in time. That's gonna, this mm-hmm. is gonna be fun." And it didn't feel like that so much. It just felt like a very sort of generic fantasy role playing game. It didn't give me that feeling, and I don't know. It, so, so no, it didn't feel particular second edition to me. It just, it just felt sort of plain. Plain.
1: Okay, well, what about Heidi, you <laughs> we actually recently had a conversation about when different people started with RPGs and you actually started relatively late, right? So you watched you watched the old cartoons but didn't play when you were younger. You played only later and you guys started with Pathfinder. What do you think would have I'm asking asking a counterfactual here, but like what do you think would have happened if you'd started with this? Like, as someone who would never really played. Because this is not as complex as Pathfinder. That is for sure. No,
3: not at all. And and seriously, I oh, let me put this on the record. I am always a person who takes the stupidest, hardest road to learn a thing. Every time. <laughs> without fail. It's like my, it is the cross I will die on. That it's like, what? That, oh, I thought I'd start here. What are you doing, idiot? Like, every time. <laughs> every time. You know, I was lucky when I started playing, even if it was Pathfinder, which is fun, but it is definitely a very rules heavy, a very, for lack of a better word, bloated game in that sense. I was very lucky to be playing with some people that were wonderful and knowledgeable and were very good friends that were patient with me and helped me through it. Um, However, I, Definitely think if I had started with something like this, it would have felt so much more like, ah, easy.
0: Mm -hmm. And
3: oh, this is all I have to do. Like, I, and even in this, it's funny because we, for whatever reason, I, we do not do it on purpose. We have a history as we have been playing together as a crew of choosing these very, like, D6, kind of, more simple systems, Mm -hmm. uh, this is the first time we've really kind of been like, oh, I haven't busted out a D20 in I don't know how long. So it it felt very, like, I don't know. It felt like I was a little intimidated by that, even. Mm -hmm. But it's still not quite as hard as... (laughs)
1: No. And you try and jump
3: in with a Pathfinder game, like for sure. This this to me was like ah, this. And I think I said that to you guys after we were done with the session that I was like, you know what? I didn't think this is so bad. I actually thought this was far easier than I remember being in those first few sessions of Pathfinder for me. I remember being like, I can't do this, and almost almost wanting to kind of cry because I was oh, like, I yeah. feel so like I'm not getting this and I want to grasp it better and nobody wants to be the person that's holding their party back, right? Right. You just don't. And you don't this... want to ruin people's fun. Exactly. You don't want to be the person always holding it up, which I know that often I'm like, hey guys, what do I do here? I, I, I know that that maybe is con- contradictory. However, I will say... This is uh, far easier than something like Pathfinder for me in my, it, yeah, I, it just felt better.
1: It does yeah, it, it's easier and, and I think that is one of the great advantages of this system is that if you want that kind of more complex type of D game, but without all of the like significant bloat you were talking about, you can play this game and get that feeling. Yes. Without the gigantic onboarding of having to learn a very complex rule set. It's it's it a system exactly. that it's a system that that actually and one of the interesting things this game does actually is place optional rules completely in the Castle Keeper's guide. So the DMG is just full of optional rules. If you would like to add a skill system to the game, that's in there. It's not part of the regular game. So you as the DM can kind of adjust the complexity for your table. Which I actually think that's a pretty good idea. I, I, I think we actually need to move into the, our, our who is this game for question. Because that's the thing we've sort of been dancing around this whole conversation. Like who is this game for? Like, of, of, the, of the vast swath of people who play RPGs out there. Who should be picking this game up? Who who is this for? Trey, who do you think this is for?
2: After listening to this conversation, because I was kind of racking my brains about that before we before we sat down here to, to talk about this, listening to Heidi talk has led me to the conc- to the conclusion that this game is really for exactly those people, somebody who wants the feeling of that kind of more complex old school type game without having to really just bear down on some really complicated rules. And I, I think that's probably who this is for. Like I said, it I was drawn into it because I thought this game was going to be for people like me who wanted to take a stroll down memory lane, but I, you know, the stroll down memory lane wasn't that awesome for me, you know? And it's made me wonder, after our second time playing this game, I went back and I sat down with my AD&D books, my old AD&D books from the late 70s, and started looking through them and thinking, you know, this is what, 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 what is this missing? And honestly, maybe, maybe what is missing is the fact that it wasn't around in 1979, you know? You can't go home again. No, exactly. And the thing that made me start wondering is, would I enjoy AD&D as much now if I played it? Maybe it's mm. not Castles and Crusades' fault. Maybe it's yeah. because I've got this unrealistic idea of, you know, I'm not 12 years old anymore. <laughs> you know? I'm not going to enjoy the same things that I enjoyed then in the same way that I enjoyed them. I, st- I might still enjoy them, but it'll be different. You know, so, uh, yeah. It's not you, it's me. Maybe,
1: <laughs> maybe. Uh, Adam, what do you think? Who's this for?
0: Okay, so I don't know who it's for, but I'm going to start by saying who it's not for, ah! and hopefully we'll yes. get there with this. Okay. Right? <laughs> so, for most folks who are familiar with fantasy RPGs and you're listening to this right now, that means fifth edition is something you're familiar with. That's just the facts. A new book came out within the last year or so called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and that was a very divisive book because it branched from this traditional reductive idea of classes and races and saying all dwarves are strong and have have a high constitution and tasha said no some of them may be very slender and you could do then maybe they have a high intelligence instead and you can move your bonuses around if you didn't like that book if that set you on edge in your fantasy rpg then castles and crusades is where you might lean towards and the reason i think so is because it wants you to stay in your bucket it wants you to stay in your lane it wants you to play to your class and and race tropes and you can still have a lot of fun in that area but i can tell you if you're looking at modern books and tasha's made you kind of turn your nose up steer towards castles and crusades maybe you'll find some fun there
1: yeah I I think that's reason And that that it it is interesting because in some ways I, I, I agree with you. I think that this game is defined more by who it's not for than who it's for. Nathan, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I mean I think this game is for people that um like the old school Dungeons and Dragons but are looking for something with, you know, a few modern ideas in you know, mostly in the math rather than in the narrative. I also think That maybe some of the plainness that Trey has spoken of and some of the others have spoken of as well is kind of a, um, like a Tolkien effect. Like think about like writing fantasy today, you're living Mm -hmm. in the shadow of Tolkien and anything you do that resembles Lord of the Rings will just be like. Well, Uh. you're just copying Tolkien now, right? So Dungeons & Dragons casts a long shadow over tabletop role-playing games, and because this game stands so squarely in that shadow, I think that if you are looking for something that is very different from Dungeons & Dragons, this is definitely not for you. I think this is for for people that... Basically, want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but with maybe some some updated ideas about the rule set, though not necessarily the narrative.
1: Yeah, I think I think you've got there um, something there. Heidi, what do you what do you think?
3: I mean, I've already kind of said it. I I think that this is meant for somebody in the early two thousands who is frustrated with how bloated D and D was getting at the time, mm-hmm. as far as the rule set. I think about this, I, I really tried to think about this because I I did enjoy playing this. I had fun, but it wasn't that it stood out in any specific spectacular way. And I think mm-hmm. about, I think about the way that, so I love music, right? And oftentimes I listen to, I, I struggle oftentimes to find new music that I'm like blown away by. Mm-hmm. And, e- and even when I find something I like, there's this... I don't know there's this kind of tendency to be like oh that's cool it's very derivative of fill in the blank right oh like, yeah it, and then that happens and that's okay like and there's nothing wrong with that because you can find amazing music that it's like hey at all arts influenced by something right like right. so you can find amazing music that it's like well you know it's it's very derivative of this group from the 60s or the 70s mm-hmm. or 80s or whatever But that doesn't make it any less amazing in its own right. Like, I enjoyed this. I think it's for somebody who is either looking to get into D&D light. Mm -hmm. Which I would, if I was looking for somebody, or if I was talking to someone who said, I really want to get into, maybe not the D6 games, I want to do a true D20 game. I would recommend either this or D&D 5th edition.
1: I think that's fair. I I would say that the 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 person I would recommend this for is the person who most of all prizes continuity in a system. Because I haven't talked about or we have not we're, we're really just looking at kind of the core game here. We don't talk about the rest of the you know, the supplements and things like that, but there are a lot of adventures that Troll Lord publishes for this that are high quality adventures really wonderful supplements of the sort that you might expect from... Like, they've got an entire book on, like, if you want to do something in Germanic folklore or in Celtic folklore or in Norse, mytho- Norse mythology, Greek mythology. They've got a really fabulous world that is their kind of proprietary generic fantasy world, right? That's highly detailed and there's a lot there. And if you are the sort of person that wants... To keep running the same game and be with the same group and be like, we want to play our game and keep playing it and keep getting material. If you got disgusted in 2008 or whatever with 3rd edition at the tail end where there were all these stuff, and you started playing Castles and Crusades, you would have seen 4th edition come and go, 5th edition come and go over in the D&D world, and you would have been fine. You would have just been sitting there playing the game with your friends and not having to worry about that at all. So if continuity is your thing, this is the game for you. But unfortunately, for me, as far as a grade goes, I'm going to give this a fail. Because I feel like... uh, I think Adam hit, hit the nail on the head when he was saying about, like, this game is defined for, like, who it's not about, who it's not for... The the sort of narrow Venn diagram of who exactly this is for. If you're like, you've been playing long enough to have a nostalgia for second, 1st edition and 2nd edition. But you do like the sort of advances in universal systems of 3rd. But you're not comfortable with the modern version of the game. But you also don't want to go back and play a retro clone. Or just go and buy the... Like, who is this... Like, these people... It's just such a small thing... That if I'm if I'm considering this from the point of view of a recommender... Like, hey, you ought to grab this game. If you qualify in that narrow window... No other game will work for you. This is the best possible game. If continuity is important, this is the game. Everyone else, I'd recommend something else. So I'm going to give it a fail. Heidi?
3: I'm going to give it a pass. I'm not going to give it a high pass. And simply because... I liked it. We had fun. It was... It was a good time. But it didn't blow me away. It wasn't anything new. It, for me, was a homage to a game that already existed, which is perfectly fine. Perfectly great. And I think it's a really good starting point. I don't know what the long-term playing power is for this. I Like, I don't know how long you... Unless you and your crew are an amazing group of storytellers. I don't know how long you can go with this, so I, I think it's it gets a pass because it's fun. It's definitely worth a shot, and definitely if you're trying to get into the the genre, go for it. I I think I've had more fun though in other games, so I would say that.
1: Fair enough, that's fair. I do think this has a lot of of continuity or like staying power, just because there's a lot of levels, you know. Okay. There's okay. a lot of yeah. a lot of books. Um, Nathan, what do you think?
4: Um, I'm giving this a fail. Oh,
1: ah. so we agree again.
4: I know this is <laughs> yeah. i I know you said fail, and like I automatically went to hit the green button, but yeah. uh I had to hold <laughs> myself back uh, we've We've had this discussion, you know, ex parte out of no. out of recording where like you know what kind of criteria are we using for grading these things? And I think for me personally, I think I can only, I try to at least let our audience know that, you know, what kind of games I like to play. I like narrative driven games that let you play wacky characters and let you do interesting things and let you be heroic. I just don't feel that when playing this game because it puts so many restrictions on, you know, what your character can do and kind of disincentivizes you from stepping outside of that role in any way. All those things feel more like prison bars than they do guardrails to me to the to the idea that this game has a nice steady set of rules you know i'm a software engineer we like iterative design we like uh, (laughs) we like you know we release the product and then we get customer feedback and we improve the product and release it again like i like the fact that there are multiple editions of dungeons and dragons and they change in some way every time so even in that regard i think i think i would just rather play Yeah. and play castles and crusades. So That's fair. for that for that purpose I am giving this a fail.
1: All right, Adam
0: well, I struggled with this one to make sure that I was reviewing it you know, as a game unto itself and not as compared to other thing that it's competing against in the market. Um, so that was kind of the perspective I was trying to take. I'll tell you what it is it's It's that person when you find chicken nuggets on the menu or chicken tenders, and you just order that and you stop looking at the menu because you found your safe your safe thing.
1: My son, in other words, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's fine, but, like, if you were to branch out, you might find something really cool. It's like turning your station to, to John Mellencamp, because you know it's not going to offend anyone. It's not going to set anyone's world on fire. It is the chicken tenders and John Mellencamp <laughs> of RPGs. Oh, my <laughs> God.
1: Now. Wow. No, 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 no. No, 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 no no, no, no. No, 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 Heidi. I don't want to hear any of your crap, because we all know that John M- Mellencamp is poor man's Bruce Springsteen so just use that analogy you know so. i i believe they
3: just did
1: an album together so there you uh, go oh boy. Mm. I, I mean
0: in a lot of ways my my point is made yeah, yeah. That it's like nobody has nobody's got a melon camp like poster on the wall but it's fine right Anyways yeah. it's fine, it's fine. Sure. I, i'm not against it um nobody's gonna say can you switch it to something else this is offensive
1: Everybody's going to sing along to little Jilly about Jack and Diane. Yeah. We all know the and words. And so in a
0: lot of ways, you would think that at the end of the sentence, I would be saying, so yeah, I mean, it passes. It checks all the boxes, and so it passes. Uh, the truth is, though, that like we live in a big, wide world of RPGs, and it has to do something that makes me excited. And for that reason, it earns my first fail.
1: Ooh. Wow. Oh. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, I think we're on the same page. All right, Trey. Um,
2: it rests all on you now. Oh, does it now? <laughs> yes. what <say> you? <laughs> uh, I
3: think we're past that. Three.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so, well, all right. So I want to preface this. I don't think I'm going to surprise anyone here. But I, but I want to preface this by saying I, I actually have a lot of regard for this ethic that they've set for themselves of not making version changes to the rules. They continue to publish supplements and they even... Publish updates to the rules, but those updates are freely available on their website. You don't have to pay for them. So if they change, if they make a rule change, it's free to you, right? And you can use it or not as it pleases you. I have a lot of regard for that. And like Kay said, if that's something that's important to you, y- this is a good game for you. But yeah, I, I got to give it a fail too. Whoa! I know. It just... Whoa! It, it did not... Do it for me. I am shocked.
3: Are you? Really? I'm yeah. shocked. I am? How am I the only best? Well, okay, let's don't answer that. We know i I I won't fail anything. I'm too like.
2: Oh, I can't. you're fine. You stick to your guns. <laughs> but yeah. No. I can't. And I still you, stand
3: by it. I'll pass good, it. But good. I am and fascinated.
2: Yeah, well no, it just I couldn't get past the fact that nothing about it was exciting to me. You know the differences that it had from AD&D, that first game that I played. The differences that it had from that game weren't so profound that it made it more interesting. It wasn't what I had hoped it would be, nor was it, nor did it surprise me with how it was different. You know, it was just not what I was looking for. And again. I, and echoing everyone else, if you want this, if you want what this game offers aside from the c- continuity, if you want what this game offers, there are a lot of games out there to play.
1: Yeah, I just thought that your your respect for that editorial commitment would uh, would push you over the edge into a pass.
2: It came close, but it yeah I, I, I yeah,
1: and there are people out there who love this game, and I you know, and and that's the thing is that I again for the right person yeah this game is is right but it just feels like i don't know it, when i started playing this that the or reading it and, and getting ready to run it i ran third edition for nine years of once weekly play at least nine solid years and when i stepped away from it i just felt this immense sense of relief it's like oh god i don't have to have all that stuff memorized or in my head anymore and the thought of and every once in a while someone would be like, well, can you can you run a Pathfinder game or something like that?" And I'm like, "No, I just don't have I've moved on When I read this or this rule book, I was like, "I've moved on from this. This is not me anymore. Any final thoughts people
3: yeah i I just really like how you're speaking of this of like a a true true relationship where you've grown and you've learned from your past, you know yeah. you're like, no." Nope, we got to nope. leave it in the past.
1: Got to leave it behind. Leave it in the past. Yeah. No, no, I, <laughs> don't come any closer, madam. I've seen your rules for grappling, and I don't want to have any part of them. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Nathan, quick back to you. Do you have the name of the company? No. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, I don't. You've you you failed. I gave you all that time. what did you do with yep. it? What were you doing?
4: Uh, just just I was there. doing math.
1: Okay. Well.
4: Oh so the
1: website. You, you, no, no, it's your second chance. I'm, Trey, how are you doing? <music> quick shot back to Nathan. What's the you name? know Nathan <laughs> hasn't got it.
2: <laughs> you know he hasn't got it. Don't ask him.
4: Part of me, part of me wants to say that I don't have it just to annoy. <laughs> Case, <laughs> You're but I did look You're it liar. up. <laughs> it appears that uh, this is the first thing these people have done. So um, you okay. can pre-order them from TomeOfSummoning.com. Um, oh, okay. The Kickstarter nice. is credited to Tome of Summoning. Their website says copyright 2022 Tome of Summoning. Okay. I think it's just, so that's all they did. it kind of looks like it's just a couple of like artists and such that just got together and did this. So, okay. Um, so you get so off from...
0: in reality, you had the answer
1: all along. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
4: He gets, yeah, off, on case. Stop, he gets off on a technicality. Stop. gets off <laughs> case. <laughs> he, he Listen, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're a bunch of judges. We get off on technicalities. That's <laughs> exactly. That's all.
1: No, oh my goodness. But let's not <laughs> describe it. Let's not ascribe to Nathan any virtues he does not possess. He got off on a technicality.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, so Trey, you built a castle in Minecraft. Hey, speaking of
1: castles, (laughs) yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, nice. Were there any crusades as well, ladies and gentlemen? Trey, did I interrupt that? Were you going to transition to that before I interrupted you
2: and went back to Nathan
1: because I'm so rude?
2: I really wish I had been going to use that as a transition, (laughs) but I have to admit. That that masterful trans- transition was brought to you solely by Adam Lawson.
4: Pretty sure Trey was gonna do it. He's just being nice, and you're actually a horrible person, Case. I almost certainly <laughs> <was laughs> <terrible. laughs>
1: <Almost laughs>